Well, thank you to our worship team that works so hard every week getting ready and leading us in worship. And as we turn to the Word now, we have been focused really since the beginning of this year on Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. They are life-altering words that have designed to, to shape a counterculture for the glory of God and the common good. Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 6. Jesus highlighted a very uh, specific issue that we all deal with, worrying instead of trusting God. But now in chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, Jesus is highlighting another common problem. Experienced in the context of relationships, and that is judging others wrongly. Judging others wrongly. So today, I want to look at the question... Is it really wrong to judge? Is it really wrong to judge? So please open your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. And when you find that, please stand with me to read God's word. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Matthew 7 and starting at verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And this is God's word for us today, and let us pray. Lord, thank you so much that we can come here today. Uh, totally free to choose to be here or not. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we can um, drive up to this place and, and see people we know and, and greet people that are our loved ones. And thank you, Lord, that we can come in this room and pray and sing and hear your word. And Lord, we are here today to be taught by your Holy Spirit. We are ready today, Lord, to receive what you have for us. And Lord, we are willing to go where you lead us. So Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would open up our understanding, that we would see wonderful things in your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, is it really wrong to judge? It's a good question. It's one that we should be asking Because every one of us, every one of us deals with this topic of judging. I know something about you because you're a lot like me. Every one of you has judged someone else wrongly. And every one of you have been the recipients of being wrongly judged. Judging is something we all do and something we have all had done to us. 
that you are guilty of judging others wrongly and that you have been judged wrongly as well. It hurts, doesn't it? When you are judged wrongly, how does it feel? Nobody likes it. It feels bad. It's hurtful. It, it, it causes anger. It causes resentment. It causes uh, confusion even of, well, why is this person doing this to me? Sometimes people don't talk for years because of being wrongfully judged by someone. Sometimes we say, hey, they're judging me, but they're really not. We think we're being judged, but we're not. But most of the time, we are. It's an interesting thing, too, that judging is not accepted in our society, or at least the word judging. I mean, how often have you said or heard it said, you know, I'm not supposed, I know I'm not supposed to judge, but, or, you know, I know it's wrong to judge, but, but let me tell you what's going on. It happens all the time. But in our society, anything and everything is accepted except judging. In fact, if you judge someone, you will be judged for it. Isn't that amazing? You can't judge or else you'll be judged. Tolerance is the idol of choice. Still, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, do not judge. Don't do it. Don't do it. He focuses now on one of the, of the primary faults of the Pharisees, that of wrongly judging other people, looking down on other people because of what they say or what they do or what they think or what they believe. They're coming to unfair conclusions about other people based mostly on appearance, based mostly on the outward appearance. Think about it. When you judge someone wrongly, it's usually because of what you've seen or heard about them. When you're judged wrongly, it's often because someone misunderstands what they saw or heard. They don't know the whole story. You realize this? That not judging others wrongly would eliminate a whole bunch of problems that we face relationally in each one of our lives. In our homes, in our churches, in the community. Dealing with this. Not judging others wrongly would settle so many, so many issues that we deal with, even right now. Some of you have been the recipients of being judged wrongly. And you are hurting even now. You know what it feels like. But what is, it to be, what is it to judge? What does it mean to judge? It means to decide. It means to cast a verdict. It means to condemn. It means to be a critic. To be critical. It literally means to give an estimate. To, to appraise something. To appraise something's worth. Because when we judge someone... We are saying they are not worth being listened to. They are not worth being followed. The Greek word is krino, which is where the word in, in chapter 7, verse 1 comes from. It means to separate out. It means to make a distinction between. It means to exercise judgment upon. 
And when we judge someone else's words or actions or even motives, when we say, I know why you did that, even though we don't know what they're thinking, when we do that, we are coming to a conclusion about them. We are pronouncing a ruling on their life based upon our ideas of how they should think or talk or act. It plays out in different ways in life. It plays out in things like comparison, where we judge ourselves better than other people, where we work really hard inside our minds to find ourselves higher than someone else because of something we don't like about them. It shows itself in condemnation, judging others worse than they really are. And what we do is we attempt to deflect the focus onto someone else's faults rather than our own. And it, it, to, we do it to try to make ourselves feel better. And we end up feeling worse. It doesn't work. What we are really doing when we judge others wrongly is we are saying they are bad and they deserve to be rejected. Not just by us, but by other people. Other people should think the same way as us. That's why we share the wrong judging with others. We don't usually keep it to ourselves very long. John Stott sums up the idea of wrong judging like this. The critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failures. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous toward their mistakes. Ungenerous towards their mistakes. Do you know anyone like that? Do you know anyone who treats you like that? Jesus says in verse 1, do not judge so that you will not be judged. But why is it wrong? Why is it wrong to judge? Why, why is it so bad? Well, I'm going to give you five reasons why it's so wrong to judge. And, and the first is obvious. We're going to go from the obvious to the not so obvious. But the first is because God says it's wrong. I think that could be answer enough. Jesus says, don't judge so that you won't be judged. It's wrong. Don't do it. It's wrong because God says it's wrong, so we need to be careful. Jesus is telling us to be careful. Realize that we will be judged by others and by God himself when we judge other people wrongly. It's interesting, too, that sometimes we judge people most harshly in the areas in which we are weakest. Sometimes we are the most strict with people in our judging in the areas where we have fallen or the areas where we have experienced the most pain. It happens in families. It happens in churches. It happens in schools and communities. And basically, when you boil it down, it is people competing for supremacy. People wanting to have first place. People wanting to be higher than someone else. So the first reason is that God says it's wrong. Do not judge. But the second reason is this. It is rooted in sin. 
It's rooted in sin. In fact, go with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it deals with the idea of showing partiality to people when they're coming into the assembly, the gathered church. And James, the brother of Jesus, speaks so much like Jesus. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts, evil motives? It's sin. You know, when you look at Matthew chapter 7, some people will say that Matthew chapter 7 is this disjointed jumble of odds and ends that Jesus just threw together, disconnected from the previous section, not in context, And I disagree. I disagree. In fact, understanding Matthew 6, verse 34, helps you understand Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Look with me at verse 34 of chapter 6. We looked at it last week. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Then the very last part of the verse. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Trouble. We all deal with trouble. The Greek word for trouble is kakia. It means evil. Jesus is saying every day has has enough evil to fill up the day. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. You got enough to worry about today. But here's the thing. This word evil, this word trouble, can can also be translated depravity. Each day has enough depravity of its own. Trouble based upon the depravity of man and the sin which he commits. Trouble that comes up. Evil uh, temptation on our part to do what is wrong. And evil actions of others coming at us. Like what Jesus says next. Judging other people. The very next thing Jesus says is, do not judge. Each day has enough depravity of its own. Each day has enough trouble, enough evil of its own. Stemming from you and other people generating all that. So don't judge. So don't judge. Verse 2, Jesus says, For with the judgment you pronounce, and you are sitting as a judge... You've put yourself up as the authority and you know better and you're laying down a verdict with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. That same standard will be applied to you. And with the measure, we've got the scales and balance or weights, the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. The same standard will be applied to you. So basically he's saying, well, you go right ahead and you keep on doing that because it's going to come right back on you. It's going to happen. 
See, when we judge wrongly, what we do is we, like a judge, sentence another person. And what we sentence them to is exclusion. What we sentence them to is is to be ostracized by others. And that's sin. God says it's wrong. It's rooted in sin. The next reason is this. It reveals a lack of perspective. A self-awareness that is necessary if we're going to please God in our life. Look at verses 3 and 4. Jesus said, See the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in yours. You can go ahead and laugh if you want. Jesus is being humorous. He's using hyperbole, deliberate exaggeration. Can you imagine someone walking around with a telephone pole um, coming out of their eye? Or a big tree trunk coming out of their, a log coming out of their eye? In the King James, it's, it's a moat and a beam. Can you imagine a big beam of wood? Just, you're just walking around with it. Well, you can't see. You're going to bump into things. It doesn't, it can't, it wouldn't happen. And Jesus says, why do you see this little speck, this even literally splinter in your brother's eye? There's something going on with your brother and it's not good and it needs to be addressed, but the problem is you've got worse problems. See, it reveals a lack of perspective. Jesus is using hyperbole, this shocking, graphic, humorous application. The prophets often use language like this, graphic images to make a point, plays on words. The Old Testament taught people that they needed to be humble enough to accept correction. And Jesus is correcting us here. Jesus is correcting us. Why do you see this little speck when you've got bigger problems? How can you say to your brother, let me help you take that speck out of your eye when there is this log in your own? There's something blocking Jesus is pointing us back to chapter 6 and verse 22 and 23 where he said this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, if you can see clearly, your whole body is going to be full of light. Your life's going to go in the right way. You're going to be pleasing to God. You're going to get along with other people. But if your eye is bad, if it's cloudy, if it's evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light that is in you, if your brand of light is really darkness, it's dark in your life. What we need but don't often have is a perspective or a worldview that is willing to admit that we aren't good enough to judge. We got our own issues to deal with. Between us and God and between us and other people, to be going around pronouncing judgments on everyone else to deflect our own issues away from ourselves, and a worldview and a perspective that's willing to admit that we can't be 100% impartial, that our judgment is is twisted, that only God is qualified to be 100% accurate in his judging. I love Grace Church. I love this church. I love the people of this church. But I have found myself thinking, I've been the pastor here now almost three and a half years, and I found myself thinking at times, 
We have more than our share of people in this church who go around judging other people because you would not believe the stuff I've heard in almost three and a half years. Oh, yes, you would. Some of it's come from you. Think about it. Now, I'm, the, I'm a, a perpetrator as well. We're all perpetrators in this regard. But sometimes I think we have way more than our share of people who go around passing judgment on other people. And then I think to myself, no, that's not true. Every Christian assembly has these issues. Now, some are more prominent than others. But this is something that Jesus wants us to get right and to get squared away or else we will not be a healthy church. A lot of churches like to say, we're a healthy church. And they look around and say, we got a lot of people coming. Or this or that. We are not a healthy church if there are people judging each other and sharing that with other people. And it happens way too often around here. And God is saying, don't do that. Jesus always says what he says in such a grace-filled, loving, compassionate, merciful, straightforward manner. Don't you love that? You don't have to wonder where Jesus is coming from. Did he really mean it? Does he mean not judge, or is that like just for everyone else? Can I get around it because I'm, you know, you know I, can, I can handle it. No, Jesus is really clear. Here's the other reason, another reason. Do you want another reason, by the way? It's getting juicy now. Because it's hypocrisy. Because Jesus, in verse 5, uses fighting words. Some of you know how to fight. Some of you have been in, I don't mean like word fights. I mean, some of you know how to fight. You've been in fights. Jesus, and you know that fighting words are the words you use when you know the person that you're oppo- uh, opposing is going to be provoked. But Jesus doesn't want to provoke us to evil, but to good. And so he says, you hypocrites. That was a strong word. It's fighting words. See, the proper procedure of how to deal with someone else's faults is first to deal with your own. Deal with your own. Other people's faults are nothing in comparison. Jesus says, you hypocrite. A hypocrite was an actor. A hypocrite was someone who played a part. A hypocrite was someone who at baseline was impersonating another. And what Jesus is saying here is the worst kind of hypocrisy. He's accusing us of the worst kind of hypocrisy. The hypocrisy that says, I'm going to impersonate God himself because when you set yourself up as a judge and you judge others wrongly you are playing God because only God is qualified to judge Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 tells us brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression and it happens all the time we're human beings You who are spiritual, so in that sense you are in the realm of being able, healthy enough to help. Okay, like for example, a drowning person can't save another drowning person because they'll make them, they'll pull them both down. A person inside the fire can't 
help the other person caught inside the fire as well. Someone from the outside has to come in. You who are spiritual, you that can come in and rescue, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself. Look to yourself so that you too would not be tempted. The idea is that we are weak as well and we could never think, well, I would never do that. That's one uh, sly way many of us like to judge. We look and say, look what they're doing. I would never do that. Next thing you know, that's what you're doing. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Here's what John Stott said about this idea of impersonating God. The command to judge, uh, the command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus did not tell us to cease to be people by suspending our critical powers which help to distinguish us from animals, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judges. And by the way, whenever we do that, we show a vastly inferior version of God. We don't play God very well. Instead, we ought to have the humble attitude of the Apostle Paul, who said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, it is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and then he said this about himself, among whom I am the foremost. I am the worst. See, when you have that kind of attitude, you don't go around passing judgment wrongly on people. Because you're saying to yourself, I'm the one. It was my sins that put Jesus on the cross. See, Paul could go on and said, yes, to say, yes, for this reason, I, w- I found mercy. Mercy. The punishment I deserve fell on someone else. That Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example of those who would believe, for those who would believe in him for eternal life. So the idea is that Paul is going around not wrongly judging people, and that becomes attractive and helps those who will believe come to faith. It's hypocrisy. One last reason I'll share with you why it's wrong to judge, and it's my, three of my favorite letters, OGK, only God knows the rest of the story. Only God knows the whole story. You remember in 1 Samuel 16 when God said to Samuel, go to the house of Jesse, and I'm done with Saul, and we're going to anoint us a new king. And so, one by one, all the sons of Saul were paraded in front of of Samuel. From the biggest, the best, the oldest, the smartest, the best looking, and all that. And one by one, God said no. Rejected. At one point, Eliab One of the sons was in front of Samuel and he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God says, no, I have rejected him. And he went on to say this in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. God does not judge as man judges. 
Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. See, only God knows the rest of the story. There is always backstory. There is always reason. Sometimes we look at someone and we say, I can't believe that person is like that. Maybe we come across someone who's bitter, someone who's always angry, someone who is just resentful all the time. And you wonder to yourself and you think, wow, and we judge them. They look how, how bad they are. But if you only knew, if I only knew what they had gone through that, that created that in their life, we would say, wow, they're much better than I would be if I had gone through that. It's very easy, very easy to pass judgment on someone and not know the whole story. You've been judged like that. I've been judged like that. And I'll tell you, the best thing to do when you're judged like that, when someone doesn't know the whole story and they jump to conclusions about why you did something or what you're trying to do is to stay silent and let God be the judge because God will work that out. Truth will be known. The truth will be known. But only God knows. Radio host Paul Harvey used to say, and now, the rest of the story. And he would tell this great quip or quote and give you this wonderful uh, closure to the story he'd been telling you, thinking, wow, and you're just amazed. He would tell you the rest of the story. The thing is, we got to be careful how we deal with people. We've got to be careful not to jump to conclusions about people because we don't know the rest of the story yet. And we may not know the rest of the story for a long time from now. There are things going on you don't know about. There are things going on I don't know about. Do you understand all the issues involved? We don't understand all the issues involved most of the time. Can you be completely impartial, completely fair? No, we can't. Only God can truly judge 100% fairly 100% of the time. So we know it's wrong to judge. It's pretty obvious by what Jesus is saying here. But some of you who like to look for loopholes are saying, you know, is it ever right? Is there a way I could judge? And I want to ask that question. Is it ever right to judge? Or is it always wrong to judge? My answer is this. There is a time when judging is right. There is a time when judging is right. Go with me to verse 5 again. We're going to look at the last part of this verse. Jesus has already said, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Did you catch that last part? Then... You will see clearly. Deal with your own issues. Then you'll be able to go and help your brother with his issue. There is a time when judging is right. But you've got to first deal with your issues. You've got to first confess your own sins. You've got to first make sure you're clean before God. And then you can go and help your brother. Verse 6. Jesus says, don't give dogs what is holy. Don't throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample them and attack you. 
You see, it's kind of like this. Jesus, in verses 1 through 5, says, don't be so critical. Why are you so critical? Stop. But now he says, but be a little critical. But be a little critical in a good way. He says, don't be so critical in a bad way, but now, but be a little critical in a good way when it counts, when it's needed. And usually that is on the rare occasion, not all the time. See, it is wrong to think that judging is always wrong. Now, wrong judging is always wrong. That's why it's called wrong judging, right? But sometimes it's allowed. Sometimes it's encouraged. Sometimes it is necessary. It is called for. See, in verses 1 through 5, Jesus is concerned with how believers respond to other believers with regard to living up to to moral and ethical issues, moral and ethical standards. In in the last part of verse 5 and then going into verse 6, there is holy and pearls, two parallel terms here that have to do with God's truth and God's standards, God's kingdom standards. They're parallel terms. They stand for the gospel. They stand for the good. They stand for the precious possession of a good name, a good reputation. Don't throw what is good to those who are not. So there is right judging, the idea of not throwing pearls before pigs. So let's talk about the dogs and the pigs. Unclean animals in those days. But I know what you think. When you think, of, you think dog and you're like, oh, little, little Fido, little fluffy you know, pu- puppy and all that. That's not what Jesus is talking about. You picture the little, those little things that people put in their purses they call dogs. That's not what we're talking about. I love dogs, by the way. Don't like cats. You can do away with those. I'm allergic. I'm allergic. But dogs are great. But here, they're not. I remember being in India and going on a run and, and, and going, looking across a city park and seeing a whole pack of dogs. Now, I've learned from experience that when you're out running, you carry a rock with you, if, if, whether it's the city or the country just in case you get chased by a dog. I don't care if it's a little one. The little yappy ones are the ones that are the worst. But here's the deal. I'm walking and I'm thinking, looking across and I'm thinking, I better be ready. And I'm bracing myself to get, you know, chewed to pieces in India. And the weirdest thing happened. They didn't even look at me. They don't do it there. They, they're relaxed. But Jesus is talking about mangy, rabid, Dogs that are hungry and that will tear you to pieces. A whole pack of dogs. Scavenging packs that would roam the streets. And by the way, to be called a dog or a pig in that culture, now I realize we call people, we even call people dog now, and it's a good thing, right? Hey, dog, you know. Uh, but then people were called a dog, and it's not a good thing. But in those days, if you were called a dog or a pig, that was a humiliating word. A humiliating label. Who are the dogs and the pigs that Jesus is talking about? He doesn't tell us. But by the context, it's people who judge themselves 
unworthy of the gospel because of their evil deeds, those inside the church and outside the church. But what does it mean to not throw your pearls before pigs? Some people say it means that you must be very exclusive with the gospel, that you need to adopt a holier-than-thou attitude, a superior attitude. That is not what it's talking about. Some people say it means excluding non-believers from the communion service. Which, by the way, is a right thing to do, but not taught here. It's not what this is teaching. Non-believers should not be partaking of the bread and drinking of the cup, because the Bible says if you partake of the bread and drink of the cup in an unworthy manner, you are guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. Unworthy means not in accordance to its worth. And as you drink of uh, the cup and eat of the bread, you're saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for paying my penalty in my place. So if you're not a believer, you shouldn't be partaking of that. But that's not what this is, is teaching. Some people say it means not sharing the gospel with, with those you deem unworthy to share the gospel with. Well, that's pretty elitist, don't you think? When we're commanded to go out into the whole world and and preach the gospel? But woe is me if we not preach the gospel? So it's not that. What Jesus is saying here is that there is a time that judging is wrong. Clearly wrong. And there is a time when it is necessary. Clearly necessary. With those who don't know any better, with unbelievers. And with those who should know better, with believers in the church. But the idea is this, don't go around doing what the Pharisees did, cramming their thoughts and their ideas down people's throats. But also, don't expect the lost to live by God's word. Don't expect unbelievers to live with a biblical worldview. Don't expect unbelievers to be believers. Don't expect them to act like one. You can't hold them to that standard because they don't know, and they don't know any better. You pray that they would come to know Christ. But you have every reason to expect and to encourage and to challenge believers to live what they say they believe. You know, I think Barna says that 40% in America say that they're born-again Christians. Oh, really? Then we should be calling uh, that 40% to live biblical lifestyles, to live Christ-honoring lifestyles. Because that's when you say, I'm a believer in Jesus. You're saying... I am in with everything Jesus is in for. I'm in with his program. I'm in with what the word of God teaches and what it says. And I'm putting myself under Jesus all the time. So we have every reason to expect and to encourage and to challenge believers to live like that. But Jesus says, like he says in John chapter 7 and verse 24, judge with righteous judgment. Because we are so, so uh, apt to, to judge with unrighteous judgment. There's a difference. Another name for right judging, by the way, is discernment. Discernment. There is a difference between judgment and condemnation and discernment. Discernment is when you evaluate things in a godly manner, in a positive way, with wisdom. Condemnation or judgment is when you unfairly judge in a negative way, and that's foolishness. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 16, that we are to be wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. Later on in Matthew 7, in verse 15, 
he says, beware of false prophets. He's asking us to judge rightly. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. You'll know. You'll know. You won't have to pretend to not notice. You will recognize. Don't ignore the obvious. But be honest. Make sure there is a sin issue. Love believes all things, hopes all things, 1 Corinthians 13. Think the best of them. Think what is right. Dallas Willard put it this way. It is possible to hold people responsible and to discuss their failures with them without attacking their worth as humans or making them rejects. It is possible to hold people responsible and discuss their failures with them without attacking their worth as humans or even marking them out as rejects. But what that takes to judge rightly is a deep commitment to relationships. You don't have to have any commitment to relationships to judge someone because you're saying you don't want to be around them and you don't want anyone else to be around them. It takes a deep commitment to the body of Christ and to relationships to judge rightly. So, when we ask the question, what can we do about it? We need to answer that question. We need to know, because we're leaving in a few minutes. We need to know what we are to do about it. By the way, both with wrong judgment and the challenge of how to appropriately rightly judge, I think the first thing we can do has to do with the heart, has to do with our attitude, and it is to remember. To remember. What to, what to remember? First of all, to remember what you have done. Remember what you have done. Remember where you came from. Remember. Remember what Jesus saved you from. Do you realize something? That if you knew me like I truly am, you judge me more than you do? And that if I knew you as you truly are, I judge you more than I do? Think about it. Think about it. God knows the worst about us and still accepts us. Remember what you've done. Lamentations chapter 3 tells us that why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? We have absolutely no reason to complain. It's like Paul said, I was formerly this way, but now, by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, I'm a changed man. But don't just remember what you have done. Remember what Jesus has done. Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember how Jesus has forgiven you. Trust God and allow him to fill your heart with good things, blessing and acceptance rather than judgment and condemnation. So first of all, remember. The second thing is this. It has to do with the mouth. It has to do with the actions. It's this. Restrain your words. Restrain your words. Psalm 141 and verse 3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Set a guard over my lips, O Lord, that I would not go the way of wickedness. Jesus said the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and to exercise self-control. Speak the truth in love. But remember Matthew 7, 12. It's, it's known as the golden rule. Whatever you want people to do to you, do to them. <laughs> you want to be judged? 
have at it. Just go on and keep judging. Jesus said that. But it's wrong. So don't go there. And when you are wrongly judged, don't defend yourself. Let God do that. Come clean with God and with anyone you've harmed as a result of wrongly judging. It's a hard reality of life that due to the pain of personal injury that comes from being wrongly judged, and many of you have been wrongly judged, we become wary. We become gun-shy of relationships. And we, we sometimes refuse to engage with people. We stay at a distance in relationships when God wants us to experience deep and abiding friendships. But doesn't being judged wrongly feel horrible? You know the truth about yourself, or at least your view of it, and someone comes along and says you're all wrong. You get pain, anger, indignation, resentment, sometimes shock, sometimes fear, sometimes tears, and then, and then even denial, common human responses. But isn't it interesting that we forget how it feels to be judged wrongly when we inflict judgment on other people? That goes right out the window. We become immune to the previous pain. So we send down verdicts, and we play God with abandon. And what we do is we live with a double standard. We allow ourselves to judge freely, but think it's so strange and so out of place when it happens to us. But the thing that should keep us from judging anybody wrongly ever is the truth about ourselves, where we have come from, what we have done, our own sinfulness, and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ that has covered all our sins. The most loving thing we can do is to be careful not to judge wrongly. You be very careful because people are fragile. And to be patient when judged wrongly. To be generous with acceptance. To be stingy with judgment. Discerning, but understanding with the faults and the foibles of others. Not hypercritical, but critical enough to not be led astray by those who don't know any better or those with evil motives. If you want to straighten them out, don't go. Stay silent. If you want to see them restored, then speak out gently in love. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for how good, how good you are. Thank you, Lord, that you know the backstory. Thank you, Lord, that that you are able to give us perspective to be generous with acceptance and stingy with judgment. Lord, please make us discerning, not condemning. Please help us to cooperate rather than compete. We know, Lord, that it would help our family and it would help our life. It will help this church. It'll help the community. It'll help our workplaces. It'll help our schools. It would help all of our relationships if we could learn to live together with people in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we know, Lord, that for that to happen, 
we must abandon the deeply rooted practice of condemning and blaming. And Lord, we ask, Lord, by your grace that you would bring that about. 